Oh, man, what a fascinating week it's been. (laughs) Would you open your Bibles to the book of Psalms 138? Hey, if you're visiting, just so you know, I'm Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm grateful that you came and hung out with us today. Uh, And you've come on a day when um, beginning a making some statements and some conversation that uh, are, you know, uh, the thing, the problem with about poking a dragon in the butt is you never know what's going to happen, so I don't know. Um, When Ashley was about two years old, Ashley is my middle daughter. We talked about this last night. I probably should have asked if this was okay, but... um, She was, uh, we were on a trip somewhere, and you know how certain toilets and public bathrooms, the power flush is a little more alarming than others. <laughs> Startling in some levels. And so at some point, she had a misfire at like two years old, 18 months maybe, I don't remember how old, now I was little, of a, of a public toilet that scared her so bad that developed what would, could only be called an irrational fear of public toilets. <laughs> at that point, now she's conquered her fear But I remember trips to the motherland, you know, North Dakota, uh, see my wife's family. And, you know, you strap a kid in that long, she's going to have to go to the bathroom at some point. And I remember literally holding her over a toilet with her screaming like I'm clawing her eyes out because of this irrational fear of the toilet. (laughs) This irrational fear of something that had scared her and she couldn't, I, I could have a logical conversation with her all day long about it, and it just didn't matter because it wasn't a logical problem. It was coming from an emotional part of her, not a logical part of her. And that is a very common place to be when you're two. It's a very dangerous place to be when you're 22 or 30. Or, and what I hope to have today and in the coming weeks or two maybe is a rational conversation, a rational discussion, based on facts. Now, you can, reasonable people disagree all the time. Reasonable people look at the same set of facts and think, you know, I don't agree with that. Absolutely, you're right, and you're, uh, we live in a free country, you get to make those decisions whether you agree or disagree. But what I won't have is an irrational conversation. Uh, Henry Cloud, I talked about him last week, uh, but he I think he might have pulled this from Mark Twain, but it is worth repeating that arguing with a fool, on either side of the spectrum, by the way, is like playing chess with a pigeon. He'll crap all over the board and then strut around like he won. And hasn't that what social media felt like this last couple weeks? (laughs) On both sides of the spectrum, it's like you're arguing with, you're playing chess with a pigeon. But I know that there are reasonable people, and I know that this room is full of reasonable people. And loving people. We shared just these two missions this morning that God is doing, but God is doing all kinds of amazing things, loving things through believers here and around the world. And I think that when we saw this Supreme Court uh, judgment that came in 
a couple weeks ago now. There was uh, a lot of reaction to it. And I, I know that in this room that there are uh, people that saw that, uh, that uh, the decision and you celebrated it. Um, you were excited about it. You uh, hashtag love wins. We saw that all over the place. There were those, probably in this room, no, actually I know in this room, you looked at it and you mourned, you grieved about it. And then there are those that you don't know what to think about it. And so you're kind of like, not sure what to say, because all this information is heading at us. And by the way, you're not alone because the internet has, has rewired the way that we process information. Like scientifically, there's an article from Mashable.com uh, where this is quoting from a book that's saying, hey, the way that we process information is, is different now. We get, all this information is flying at us, and what it does is it just scrambles our brain. And if you think about it, if you're Satan, what a brilliant strategy to create problems that require nuance, that require discussion, that require love and passion, and then rewire the, the brain of a nation to not be able to process that information in less or more than 140 characters. That's a brilliant strategy if you're Satan. I was talking about the, the hashtag of love wins. That's a great example to me. It's everywhere. Hashtag love wins. We saw it. But the question is, what love won? The Greek language has six different words for love. You know, eros, which is, is sexual love. Uh, phileo, philos, depending on your, you know, it's, it's, it's friendship, it's, it's bro love. Agape, it's, it's for God so loved, God so agaped the world that he sent his only begotten son. It's the God kind of love. There's storge, which is like the mama love, the, the family, the maternal love. There's philosia, which is self-love. And boy, do we know some of those, and some of us maybe are those. Pragma, the long-standing love. And so when I see the hashtag love wins, that is, uh, congratulations, Rob Bell, that's working out for you. But when you look at it from a purely pragmatic, the question is, what love are we talking about? What love won at the Supreme Court? And I'm going to talk next week about uh, Christianity and sexuality. The entire country is talking about it, and shame on us if we don't. But today isn't a conversation necessarily about Christian sexuality. Today is a conversation about what happens when the government does something that the church doesn't necessarily agree with. Because when I look at who won at the Supreme Court, my opinion, and everybody, you know, it's like a rear end of opinion. Everybody's got one, but you don't want to see it or smell it, right? But here's my opinion is that Eros won at the Supreme Court, okay? Uh, I think that Phileo is winning relationally in the, in the, body, in the world, and, but the good news is, is that Gape wins eternally. And I can say to you this morning uh, from Psalm 138 that whether you agree with the Supreme Court decision or not, that God has a word for you on either side of it. That has nothing to do with the conversation on sexuality and everything to do with what, is, what happens when, when, a, when a court of this world 
makes a decision that divides a nation so down the middle. And if you were to title my sermon this morning, I think we would be uh, the, su- the supremest court. <laughs> because there is a court more supreme than our court. And David talks about that in Psalm 138 when he says in verse 1, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. That word gods, little g, sometimes in the Old Testament refers to pagan, in the English translation would relate to like a pagan god. Some of the mentions in Genesis, what have you, are there. But it also refers to judicial, judges. And there are multiple examples of that. In fact, one of them, if you turn your Bible just a couple pages over to Psalm 82, is an example of that where that word gods, the little g, Elohim, multiple gods, refers to judicial statements, to judicial, to judges. And he says in verse one, this is germane, so please, like we're building that foundation for the church. If we didn't have it, the whole thing would fall down the hill. This is germane so that this foundation is built for what I want to tell you today, that, uh, so that the, 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 this message doesn't slide down the hill. In, in Psalm 82, verse 1, he says, God has taken his place in the divine council, speaking of judiciary. In the midst of the gods, little g, Elohim, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, he says. Give justice. If you're looking for a job of a judge, this is their job. To give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. And that's the job of any judge. And I have a question for our Justices, the five that ruled the way that, that they did, which, which is really simple, which is if it was really about equality, I just don't understand. 55 million babies since 1973. How long will you rule in this way? And there are those that would say these have nothing to do with each other, and I would say they have everything to do with each other. This, if it is about equality, then why not? Why not? And he would go on to say, rescue the weak and the needy, verse 4. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in the darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Did anybody feel like that? From the, the, the second category, you were grieving a little bit. You felt like, man, this has really shattered everything I believed. In verse 6, by the way, that's how the world felt in 1973, too, by the way. A lot of believers felt that way. Um, that the whole world had shaken. We'd lost our mind. That a woman had a right to choose, but the baby didn't. So who gets to choose in that situation? Who's right outright weighs the other one? Well, this is a reasonable question. Now, irrationally, if I'm putting you over a toilet and you're scared of it because you're just scared, well, that, yeah, I understand. You're not going to... But a rational conversation is if that child 
had a right to live, then help me understand the equality issue to this. Help me understand, there, this is video footage that you can find right now on the internet. Uh, and it's not like, a, you know, underground, Breitbart, Beck, whatever. I mean, it's like, like video of our president 10 years ago standing in front of the Illinois state uh, legislature arguing in favor, not of just abortion, but late-term abortion, making a very impassioned case. He was the only guy, even his side of the aisle was like, that's crazy. But saying that babies at seven, eight, nine months should still have the right, the want mom should still have the right to choose. I don't understand equality if that's part of the conversation. And I said, you are gods, you are Elohim, you are judges, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. But I love this. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all of the nations. Every judge in history they all have one thing in common. Just like 10 out of 10 dentists surveyed, they all die. They chew dentine and they die. We all will stand before the judge of the, the supremest court, if you will. There's only one guy on the throne of this one. And so whether you agree with my position or not, we all can look at that and say, well, we're going to find out. <laughs> because at some point, God is going to make his judgment known to the nations. Now go back to Psalm 138 with me. Because my question for us is, agree or disagree when the Supreme Court makes this decision, then what, then what do we do? What do you do? You agree with it? What do you do? You disagree with it? What do you do? And he says in verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple, and I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. He didn't say, I'll build a social networking campaign. He didn't say, I will stand on a corner and make sure everybody knows how mad I am. He, didn't, he said, I will bow to you, I will praise you in the midst of the judges. And I think there's a lesson for us in that, agree or disagree, that we can stand in his presence and praise his name, knowing that he is the God of the universe. He is the judge of all judges. And we can give thanks to his name. And in hindsight, when you think back on it, some of these things that, we, that seemed so bad for us, when I think back, what, I, what do I give thanks for? This is an opinion. You may not agree with this. But we talk about when they took, quote, God out of school. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, God, don't. But over the last 40 years, I look back on that and think, imagine what Common Core would do to the Bible. <laughs> imagine what a bureaucracy could do to the Bible. Because here's the secret. They didn't take God out of the schools. You just met Benny Prophet. There are 10,000 first priority clubs meeting in schools every day all across the country making disciples of all men started because Benny Prophet and Jay Seculo, who's been a long time part of our church family and supporter of this ministry, won a Supreme Court case that says, oh no, God can be in the school. We just can't have a teacher teaching it. And I got to tell you, in hindsight, 
I sat in a room uh, with a small group, a youth group. It's been a few months ago, Jim, and a teacher from Poplar Grove Middle School, the former home school of my children, told their fifth grader that the Noah, this whole story in the Genesis is a myth, and we, you know, basically teaching it as if it's a fact. So I'm kind of okay with the fact. I can give thanks to God in retrospect and in hindsight saying, I'm glad that a government is not telling me what I can and cannot believe about the Bible. I can give thanks to him for that. I can give thanks to him knowing that God might not be uh, represented in our court, but the fact of the matter is, is our court, to the extent that I'm grieving about that court, might be the extent to which I still love this world and I'm hanging on to this world. This world that will fade away, this world that the nations will all become the property of the Lord's anyway. And the fact of the matter is, is when, you get, when you get the government involved, how many 60-minute specials do we need to see on the VA hospital to know that when the government gets involved in something on that level, you don't want that. Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Constantine. The government became, when they were burning uh, Christians at the stake in the Middle Ages because they didn't want, it was the Catholic Church to become a theocracy. When God said to the people of Israel, you don't want a king. I know you think you do, and I appreciate your enthusiasm, but this is going to end poorly for you. And what do they do? They demanded a king, and it ended poorly for him. You see, the beauty of what our founding fathers did in this Constitution wasn't separation of church and state. You know, that, that, does, that phrasing doesn't even exist in the document. It's the Establishment Clause saying that they can't make any rules or laws. There is a court, for now anyway, that we can appeal to, for now. Maybe it won't always be. But in my mind, that whole conversation is a little bit of a red herring, a distraction, because the real conversation is not could we stand up to the judicial pressure, but could we stand up to the social pressure. When I was in high school and I found Jesus in like fifth, sixth grade, and it was just a little tiny church, and, and the town was not really thrilled about our church. And while I was even sixth up to seventh grade, we were the little, this little youth group, about 20 kids. There was only like, see, four of us from that school. It was Troy Covey, Marcus Gonzalez, Travis Soper, and me uh, in the same class. They mocked us, and they spat, literally spat on us. They beat us up. They called us resies because we had resurrection. Anybody remember resurrection band? <laughs> had a resurrection band shirt that said res band, and so we became the resies. And it wasn't a whole lot of fun. And I've kind of enjoyed the last couple decades of being liked. I've kind of enjoyed living in a culture that is not, maybe not for, but certainly not against what we do. And we're shifting into a culture that looks at what we would believe that the Bible is the word of God, inerrant and spiritually a communication from our, a supernatural communication and say to you that you're crazy. To say that it's just a book that's, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks, why I believe that we can trust this, that why it is in there. But if you believe that right now and you walked in and you believe that, understand that there's not a person on major network television that thinks that that is reasonable.
in the news department. There are churches in this town, pastors in this town, who will tell you that God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through culture. He speaks to us through tradition. He speaks to us through our hearts and through each other and through the Bible. There's five ways. And if four of them begin to disagree with one, if four of these disagree with the word, then it trumps Scripture. The danger of progressive theology is not the stance on LGBT issues. It's the stance on the word of God. And I'll tell you that this book, supernaturally communicated by the Holy Spirit through the hands of man, given unto us, translated to where you find it perfectly translated to us. Now, we get it back. It's like, oh, this is, says exactly what we said. It said, I, this is the word of God to me. And if all four of my other things to say that there's something different, I'm going with what the word says. And I pray you'll join me on that journey. And if not, there are no hard feelings. I do love you, and I understand, and we want you to know you're welcome. And, but that's, this is the plumb line for us at Conduit Church. And he would say in this word, this supernatural communication, that I bow down towards your holy temple and I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. We can be thankful that he is exalted. God is exalted above all things, above every court, above every king, above every court in every land in history. You have been exalted above all things, your name and your word. He puts his name and his word on equal footing. And on the day I called you, you answered me. On my, uh, my strength of my soul, you increased. This is a day more than any other that we need to cry unto God for, him to, for you personally to have your strength increased. To, you, I cried unto you and you strengthened my, you gave me strength. At the government level and at the local level, you gave me strength. Verse 4, and all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. I love that because you don't give thanks and mean it if you're being forced to. I believe that when all, it says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, every king will give thanks, that at some point they will look at our Father, the God of the universe, and know that he was right and they were wrong. There is no gun to the head, bow down to me. It is a, wow, you were right. We'll all, when we all will look at him and say, righteous and true were your judgments, O God, it's because our minds are going to be blown by how right he was in every area. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. What does James tell us? That God resists the proud, exalts the humble. What does the humble do? What do we do when we're humble? We're saying, look, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you. This toilet scares me so bad. (laughs) But daddy, I know you wouldn't throw me in there. (laughs) I know you wouldn't do that. I would never flush my child down the toilet. You know that, right? Now, right? You know that now. (laughs) But at two, she didn't know that. And I have a lot of latitude for those who don't see it this way yet because I know that maybe you just don't know God the way that I know him. Maybe you don't know how loving he is the way that I know that he's so loving and so patient and so merciful, so kind that he's not looking to flush you down the toilet. And the humble would say, 
I don't understand it, but I know that you do. And even if you can't today, grasp this, the entirety and the enormity and the complexity and the simplicity of this book. Maybe you can grasp the cross. I say that maybe I don't understand Psalm 138. Maybe I don't understand Romans 1. Maybe I don't understand 1 Corinthians 6. But what I understand is that the God of all the universe became man and dwelt among us and took the sins of the whole world, not just my sins or yours, but the sins of the whole world upon him on that cross. That is a God that is good. And if I don't understand it, I can still look to that and say, okay, that I, I know that that's love. That is the hashtag of love wins. Everything else is just decoration. And the haughty he knows from afar. When Satan, in the original sin, said, I will rise and I will be like the most high God. The original sin of Satan was pride. I will, he says to Eve, he's holding out on you and you don't know. He's just, you, could, you can decide what is right and what is wrong in the garden. You can be equal with God. Pride and equality were the original sins. And when I try to make myself equal with God, don't hear me making a political statement, I'm making a a Jesus statement. When I say I am equal with God, and now the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says that I get to say what is right and what is wrong. And I got to tell you, I'm pretty bad at that. There are things that I want to be right that are not. There are things that I want to be wrong, frankly, that aren't. And the humble that he holds in and closely and says, you are humble because you're saying that I'm going to let you make that call because you see things I see, you know things I don't know, you can look to places I can't look and trusting him at least in the cross and saying, I can hold on to this for now. That's an okay place to start. And to some of you, I would encourage you to think through those if you are having troubles with any issue of Scripture, to go back and maybe let that issue rest a while. My pastor used to refer to it as the bookshelf of theology. I'm going to put that back on the shelf for a little bit and let that marinate. I'm going to come back to Jesus. I'm going to come back to what does it mean that God would become flesh and dwell among us and that if this God became man and then dwelt among us and died and then resurrected on the third day that I ought to probably wonder and know and be sure of what he said and what does it mean for me. (laughs) Yes, yes, Lord. Better than a buzzer, right? <laughs> Could have been the other way around. I'm sorry, wrong answer. I should know what Jesus said. Did he say, judge not lest you be judged? Yes. And then in Romans seven twenty four, he said, judge, but judge righteously and in love. So did he contradict himself or is it maybe more simple than a hashtag? Don't let your faith shipwreck on, the question, shipwreck on the questions. Find the answers and then let the chips fall where they may. And I believe that the answers are here and it's amazing. And he would say in verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. 
to not forsake the work of your hands. He will fulfill his purpose for you. And the fact of the matter is, the history of the United States, 127,000 missionaries a year have been sent out from this nation because of the political system, because of our economic system that allows for that. The next closest nation to sending out missionaries is Brazil with 34,000. It's not even close. But understand that when you look over the history of nations, God uses nations for his purposes. Romans 15, 1 Peter 2. We ought not to get our pants in a wad over what the government is doing because God is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's, I will, I, my purpose for you will be. And some of you might say, but Darren, aren't you worried about your kids? Only when I'm in love with this world. To the extent that I'm in love with this world is to the extent that I will grieve the loss of something that should have never existed to begin with, which is my relationship with a world that is going to pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. When Jesus returns, the prophet tells us that the government will be on his shoulders. And I'm very grateful for this government that we have had, this system that we have had in the system of government but the history of man teaches us that great nations rise and great nations fall. That just happens, but his purposes were always fulfilled. And when I look back historically, when, look, when I look presently, you know where the church is thriving right now? China, <coughs> Philippines, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq. Because if nothing else, maybe what the Lord gave us with the Supreme Court ruling was a gift so that I could finally divorce this world and say that she was a lover that would have never fulfilled me anyway. And all it really is is the reality of this is just the way the world goes. And if you think, oh, Darren, you sound like such a nihilist. Please, if I get 80 years on this earth, right, if I get 150 years, and Willard Scott, is that the guy from uh, the Today Show? He, he'll still be alive. They'll roll him out on a dolly, and he'll hold out a grape jelly and say, well, happy birthday. <laughs> if I make it that long, it's still a snap in the history of two million years. Do you think for a moment that Philip, who was stoned for his faith as Jesus stood up to applaud him in the one-man standing ovation, do you think for a moment for the last 2,000 years that he thinks, well, that sucked? No, 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 no. So if this world is changing, so be it. We ought not to be afraid. How many times in Scripture, was it 365, one for every day of the year, be not afraid, be not afraid, be not afraid. And for those of you that have felt like you've grieved, you probably are grieving. Anger oftentimes is just a secondary emotion, but you're grieving a love that maybe should have never been to begin with. And we can look at this and say, there's a little bit of a gift in this. I just came back from Haiti. You know how much they expect out of their government? Nothing. When the earthquake happened, they didn't sit around waiting for the government to show up because nobody was caring. Nobody looked for the government for that. They didn't even know. Like, that was an option. Like, the government does stuff. They build roads? What? <laughs> the gift that we have is maybe to say, you know what? Let the chips fall where they may. Go home today and read 1 Peter 2 and see that, man, God is on the throne. 
And the way that we silence the talk of foolish men is not with our words and debate. Think about a pigeon the next time you get into that conversation. <laughs> the way we do it is with our good works, with going to the track and, and being Jesus over and over and over again, with going to Togo and being Jesus over and over and over again, with going to your neighbor and being Jesus over and over and over again. And that's what talks. It, it just, at some point... I mean, they were trying to make a big deal out of Rick Warner just a couple years ago. They were blasting him in the media, but it all settled down. And you know why? Because there were about a million to two million people in Africa who were, had AIDS treatment because he donated the proceeds of his book. It's, how, do you, how do you argue with that? That's a hateful guy? Yeah. Kind of a hard argument to make there. <laughs> he was just First Peter 2 in it. And I would encourage us as a church that we're going to First Peter 2 it. And not everybody's going to understand and not everybody is going to be thrilled about it and they're going to they're miscalculate and mischaracterize and, and we're going to talk about in the coming weeks what that looks like and what it means, but that's what is going to happen from some. And what do we do? Uh, Psalm 138, as our worshipers are coming back, Psalm 138, verse 1. We will, in the midst of the judges, in the midst of the government, praise him anyway. And then the second thing we get to do in the book of Habakkuk, and you don't necessarily have to turn there, Habakkuk 2. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, my favorite way to pronounce it. <laughs> you Bible scholars are like, what? <laughs> he was a guy that was like us, struggling with what do I do in the, in the midst of a government, in the midst of a world of a theocracy that has gone astray. And what did God say to him in verse 20 of chapter 2? But the Lord in, is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. There is a lot of noise in your world right now. Every time you turn on your phone, every time you turn on your TV, every time you turn on the radio, there's a lot of noise. We talked about it at the very beginning, the way that you're processing information, not you, but the world as a whole right now, the way we process information is changing because there's too much of it flying at us and it's scrambling our brains. So maybe what we do is we go to the temple, we face to the Lord and we put our, bow our knees and give praise to him and give thanks because we know that he is the God of the supremest court and we can then let our word, world be quiet. Let the earth be silent around you. Maybe don't scan your news feed when you get home today. I'm talking from experience. In the name of trying to get more information so you can understand what you really do is overwhelm yourself and discourage and depress yourself, maybe just shut it off and let the world be quiet this week. The world around you is quiet and the God above you is speaking and I promise you if you walk into his holy presence that he will speak to you and love on you Let your worlds be quiet this week and know that the supremest court is not out of session. Know this this morning, that the judgment against you personally, I will say this, I don't think that when we hear these threats of God's going to judge America, he judged America on the cross. Now there is a time we speak of the future when he returns, when those who said, I will not have you to be Lord over me, he's going to say, Congrat well, that's what you wanted. But for now, in this dispensation of grace, we might reap a harvest of destruction, we might reap those things, of it, but it's not going to be God angry. It's just us reaping the harvest that Galatians tells us about. And you personally, he's not angry at you. He satisfied his anger and his wrath on the cross. 
because of your sins of lying and of cheating and whether it's your sexual sins or your, your eating sins or your drinking sins or of alcohol to, to, to being drunk. If you, whatever those sins are, he's, those were all satisfied at the cross. And I would invite you this morning, if you say, I don't know that I have ever had that kind of a relationship with him before. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It is wrath be poured out on Jesus and all you're doing is saying, I just receive and accept that. And I'd be glad to pray with you. I'm going to be right here with my wife. I'd be glad to pray with you while we're worshiping. But this week, remember the supremest court is still in session. The judgment has not been rendered for the future. The judgment was rendered at Jesus at the cross, but there's a future judgment coming, but it is not about our nation yet. For now, we can know that Jesus is still alive and well, not surprised, not caught off guard. And we can rest in that. Father, would you give us wisdom this morning as we uh, worship a while longer? Psalm 138, let's bow towards your temple this morning. Those of us who disagreed with what I said this morning, we could still bow towards you and worship you, Lord. Those that agreed, those that don't know, we can still bow and worship towards you, Lord. And God, might our worlds be a little quieter this week. Let the, the scrambling begin to be unscrambled as we have reduced the noise in our lives. Let our world be silent. In your name we pray.